listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. There are unforeseen benefits from taking a less than straight path from A to B, and there are a lot of gifts along the way that you couldn't have anticipated. You can't keep score. You just got to keep saying this was what we set out to do, and we're going to figure out how to make it work. It's not to be together every minute, but it's to have a life that is designed to bring out the best in each of us and actually challenge us to work together always. We also happen to be extremely creative spirits and we feed off of each other every day. Every idea, every conversation we have is just something that perpetually leads to the next step. We thrive off of each other's energy. We have a way of respecting one another, and I think mm. that's also key to success in this working. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 64, Commitment, airing for the first time on December 2nd, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. In today's show, we feature three committed couples. Our first guests are civic leader Elliot Cutler and Dr. Melanie Cutler. We also have musicians Carolyn Mix and Darcy Doniger, founders of Two Note Botanical Perfumery, and photographer Kevin Brucey and filmmaker Sharon Paul Brucey. As we move into the holiday season, we thought it would be nice to focus on what keeps people together. Love is something that gets a lot of attention from popular film. It's a romantic notion. We like to, we all like to fall in love, but what keeps us in love? And when we move in and out of love, which happens over the course of a lifetime with someone, what keeps us coming back? Our conversations today, we believe, will give you some insight into this process. We hope you enjoy our conversations with Elliot and Melanie Cutler, Carolyn Mix and Darcy Doniger, and Kevin and Sharon Paul Brucey. As our listeners may remember, we spent some time talking about the topic of um, family transitions in um, a recent show, and I thought it would be very interesting, and actually my friend Genevieve and uh, former co-host Genevieve Morgan also thought I'd be interested to talk about transitions of the family in a different way with people who have transitioned themselves but have continued to stay married through thick and thin, through, I guess, good times and bad, hopefully not too many bad times, um, and some actually one relatively public figure and one figure that I think is seen around the community a lot but may not consider herself quite as public, and this is um, Elliot Cutler, who is a civic leader and well-known for many things within the community, and Dr. Melanie Cutler, who is a psychiatrist. And we really appreciate your coming in and talking about your own interesting marital transitions, which have kind of required you to have an ongoing commitment to each other. 
good to be here. And they do. Very nice to be here. Many, many transitions over many years. Well, so let me talk a little bit about this and you as individuals. Um, I think a lot of people, Elliot, are familiar with you. So I'll start with Melanie. Good idea. And, and for those people who are listening who haven't um, read the main magazine profile of Elliot, they can go back and look at that online, and that gives a lot of information, and, and we'll, let you, we'll let you talk, too. But, um, <laughs> That's all right. I do enough of that. But, well, you know, you're probably used to it. So, Dr. Cutler, how did you get yourself into this whole situation? <laughs> the marriage, you mean? Is that uh, the situation I'm gonna go, you're I'm going to go with, yes, the, the, that, that, that mm. situation, yeah. Elliot and I met uh, almost 40 years ago, and we were both in law school. And uh, we, uh, he, he purportedly, he tells the story to everyone. I'm not sure it's more apocryphal than real, but that he followed me around uh, into the law school library where he had never been. It's true. Um, and the rest is, is history. What was interesting about I our checked you early, out and never returned you. <laughs> our, our legal careers early on was that actually Elliot very much wanted to come back to Maine when he finished law school, and when we decided to get married, there was that initial commitment. I agreed, despite it not being my expected career path, to look for jobs in Maine. So we we did that, and after um, a very difficult and disillusioning search, uh, decided not to come to Maine. We, we went to New York because not a single, actually not a single woman that I'm aware of was offered a job in the legal community in Portland in 1974 when I finished law school. And I was among one of a few, um, I think, well-qualified women, none of whom was offered a job. And rather than looking further for some token position, I mean, Elliot actually said, no, there's, this is not what we should do, and I had a great job offer in New York. He found it easy to procure one, and off we went. Um, so that was really the reason why we didn't come back to Maine in the 70s. And then it was, you know, our careers both took off in various directions. We were in New York for a while, then we were in Washington, and it wasn't until I had finished, was finishing medical school and, and needed to apply for residency positions that we hadn't uh, a good opportunity to come back here many years later. But, you know, lots of water over the dam but between then and now. So, Well, let me ask you, Elliot, what was it like to be with this woman that you followed into the law school library and followed, well, I guess went into the legal profession together with, and then have her kind of say, no, I'm going to go back to medical school and I'm going to do something different? Oh, and what was that like? Well, he was the catalyst. I was, yeah, it's fair to say I was the catalyst for it. I mean, she was, uh, Melanie was a very successful lawyer. I mean, she was, she'll deny this, but she was probably the leading antitrust lawyer, young woman antitrust lawyer of her generation. And oh. she was head of the energy section in the antitrust division at just Justice. She was a really good lawyer, and she hated it. And when our son was three, I think, she said, I've had it and I'm going to stay home with, with Zach. Uh, but staying home was not a career path that was going to last very long for her. Uh, her father, like my father, had been a doctor, and she had really always wanted to be a doctor, not a lawyer, but her father had discouraged her from, from that, thinking that it wasn't a good career for a woman at the time. Uh, and and he may have been right then, but uh, but by this time it was the right thing to do. And so I encouraged her to go to. I said, take some pre-med courses at American University and just see how it goes. Because 
she'd never had any of the sciences that she needed to go to medical school. And she, I think you got straight A's, didn't you, in pre-med courses? I think I got to be in physics. Well, we got to be in physics. Anyway, she did very well, and she applied to medical schools, and, and, and she went to medical school. And that was a major transition because we had two young children. Uh, I, my job entailed a considerable amount of traveling, and she was uh, in medical school, which is a really hard road to hoe, and um, we got through it. And, and and it was a, a pretty good test, I think, at that time. Uh, but then, you know, she I had always wanted to come back to Maine, and, and as Melanie said, that was an opportunity to do a residency here, and we did, and, and so we came back here in 1999. You know, I figured as old as I was at the time that I was finishing med school, if I didn't do a residency here, I was going to have no credibility in this community. In, in retrospect, that may not have been true, but it seemed very important to, to get back here, and it was an opportunity to do that. But, you know, that that was just one of many transitions because after... When we came back here, I had merged my law firm into a big international firm on the condition that I could commute back and forth between here and, and Washington, which I did for several years. Uh, and then the firm asked me to go to Beijing to open our office in Beijing. And, you know, we, we moved here. We loved living here. We built this house we loved. Melanie was building, just a a <laughs> was building a yeah. practice, and uh, and here along came this opportunity to go to Beijing, which she said, you know, we got to do this. I, I had said, look, if we go to Beijing, we'll spend more time together because I won't be traveling as much. I mean, I used to travel every week for my job. Just, I mean, not only Washington, but to Spain or to California or wherever I had to be. And I said, look, if we're in Beijing, we'll be together all the time. Won't that be great? Well, that's not the way it worked out. I mean, we spent three years in Beijing. One year I made 14 round trips back to the United States. I was in Europe. I was all over the place in Asia. And so it didn't work out quite the way we'd intended, but it was still, I think, for both of us, a very rewarding experience. And then... I just as we were coming back and looking forward to spending time together in Maine, I decided to run for governor. I think one really so. important thing, I mean, Elliot um, deserves credit also for the fact that while he agreed to go to Beijing for his firm, he conditioned his, his agreement to do that on my finding something worthwhile. Having just finished medical training, was not about to throw that over. And, um, and that ended up being quite easy, and, and I had a wonderful job in Beijing for those years. Um, I was, as it turned out, the only Western-trained psychiatrist serving that expat population during that time um, out of the big American joint venture hospital there. And that was fascinating. I would never have had that opportunity. But, you know, the theme kind of throughout our marriage has been, it was meant to be, well, let's take turns. Well, you know, whoever, he came to New York for me because I couldn't find a job here. Then I went to Washington when he was offered a job there. And then... Um, ultimately, he, he wanted to come back here, but so did I. And then when he wanted to go to Beijing, you know, we found a way to make that work. And I think had we not managed those kinds of compromises and transitions that we would have had a very difficult time because we, um, we were both pretty driven and pretty ambitious and, and also mindful, frankly, of the, the role models we were setting for our kids. I think, I think also that you, you, you know, when you, 
you set out on a course like this, and, and, and the notion is you're going to take turns. Well, it, it's not like a game of checkers. I mean, the turns don't come on some regular pattern. And you say, well, now it's your turn, and then it's my turn. That's not the way it works. So you have to adjust, as Melanie says, and you have to adapt. And, and you can't keep score. You absolutely can't keep score. Because if you keep score, someone is going to be resentful. Uh, and that's not to say there haven't been times when we've one or the other of us has, has been, you know, PO'd or resented the other, or, or, or been faced with a choice where there was no good answer. But you can't keep score. You just got to keep saying this was what we set out to do, and we're going to figure out how to make it work. There's another piece to this, though, that, that ought to be said. Um, yes, we've made a very strong commitment to each other and, and to our children, and but our ability to do this, uh, to, to fulfill these commitments, to survive the challenges, to, to, to adapt and move on, is also a matter of luck. Uh, you know, we've had opportunities that others aren't as lucky to have. And, and so the challenges with which we've been confronted and with which our children may be confronted are challenges that are somewhat easier for us to resolve and to overcome than for other people. And, and I, you know, I, I, I've always believed that, that opportunity is the secret sauce. And if you don't have opportunity, no matter what your skill level is, no matter what your innate talents are, the challenges can be that much greater and sometimes crippling. And so, for us to sit here and talk about our successes uh, in in maintaining this commitment, and I, I don't want to get too political here, but but we're very lucky. We are really, really lucky, and other people ought to have the same kind of opportunity. Well, you said not to get too political, but I think we can't really pass up the chance to talk with Melanie very briefly about what it was like to be married to somebody. It won't who be brief. Okay. Well, I just, I'm just interested. I mean, it, you have your own career, you have, you know, this family, you have a place in the community, you're your own person. What was it like to be with somebody who was running for political running for office? office? What is it like to be what with is it somebody like, who's I guess? playing the yes. role he's playing? Um, I have a lot of ambivalence, did have a lot of ambivalence about it, and still do. Um, I firmly believe in what Elliot was trying to do, is trying to do, so I want, I wanted in every way I could to support him without uh, in any way undermining my own kind of integrity and authenticity. I, Elliot, even without regard to the politics, is a much more extroverted person um, who plays to the, the external audience and who cares greatly about what's going on in the world, and I, um, I'm much more of an introvert, and, and even the work I do is much more introspective and requires, frankly, a, a huge degree of privacy and <clears throat> confidentiality in order for patients to feel safe, in order for me to do the work. So I was extremely worried about the impact of his campaign potentially on my work, and it did become 
an issue to some extent. I, I felt that I had to discuss it with, with patients in case they should, for example, hear me uh, or see me publicly and weren't aware of any of this. And, and that was a little uncomfortable, but it was also important and, and good learning. Um, and I, I'm sure that we'll face the same thing going forward. Um, I do worry about what's the ultimate impact that wasn't an um, announcement. On my, on my practice, depending. Well, I mean, you're, you're out there in the public sector doing what you're doing now. It doesn't matter whether you're running for office. So um, constantly having to draw that line and walk a balance is a challenge, and it's a daily challenge, uh, frankly. So uh, I've made peace with it. I, I actually didn't intend to get as involved in the campaign effort as I ended up doing last time, but I was so passionately interested in some of the issues, both in terms of health care and in the arts, that, that weren't getting, didn't have the full attention and manpower that was needed to do a good job, but I, I got drawn into doing more than I intended. And I found that it was gratifying, important, worthwhile, and that I, um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And then I thought I could, I could balance it. And again, one never knows if there's some rationalizing going on in order to make it okay to do what you want to do. but. Um, it just uh, it just has to be something that you take a day at a time, and um, you know there may there may come some kind of watershed moment where there's a, a difficulty that we we have to work through, and, and I I don't know I just uh, I've stopped worrying about it frankly. A chronic ache, sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think, and when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, sleeplessness, and that not quite right feeling come back. But they don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call the Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. In the 1970s, there was the Pet Rock and Disco. In the 80s, there was the Cabbage Patch Kid and Cheers. In the last decade, we have Crocs and American Idol. Fads come and go. But a commitment to healthier living that began with the running movement has now spread to take in a much larger cross-section of the population. This wellness movement has finally reached out and put an arm around our needs to create wealth and manage our money. Using the fundamentals that may be clear to us in our training are not always clear to us in the management of our funds. 
To learn more about how what you know can make you a better saver and investor, give us a call at 847-4032. Shepherd Financial will help you evolve with your money. Shepherd Financial, securities and advisory offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. There's two things that I get out of this. One is that it feels like each of you have had to stretch at various times beyond the boundaries of your comfort zones as individuals and also as a couple. And two is that you continually agree to sort of re-up that you say, okay, we're going to keep talking about this, we're going to renegotiate, we're going to try to figure this out, so you don't look at your relationship as a static thing. <laughs> no, and, 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 and no one should assume from what we're saying or what, or what they imagine that, that it's a piece of cake. I mean, we've had some, you know, we've had some crisis in our, in our lives and in our, marriages, in our marriage, and we've had challenge, and we've had arguments, and we've had disagreements, and... and uh, uh, but you have to just keep working at it, and you have to be forgiving. Mm. I think I think the you know the two most important things to longevity are a sense of humor <laughs> and an ability a willingness to compromise. You know, it's funny. Even in my work, I, I tell my patients it, it's it's kind of ironic. I think long married or couples or couples who've been together, whether married or not, for a long time have a tendency to assume they can read one another's minds and that explicit communication isn't necessary. And indeed, I know lots of people, myself included, who will sometimes feel that, well, if you don't know me well enough by now to know what it is I need or want or I'm thinking, then this is a disaster. And um, You've said that if to you me. Can't, you know, and, if, and if you can't, <laughs> if you can't fulfill these needs of mine without my having to ask for them, then what is this relationship all about? And, and actually, that's such a juvenile approach to relationship. And really, you have to be, you have to be explicit. You also have to know what you need and be um, willing to ask for it and to state it. And I think this tendency to, to mind read or to think you can mind read your partner uh, just because you've been together for a long time, that notion of predictability is a, a terrible mistake. And it's very important to keep communicating uh, and it's scary, even in a, even for long uh, coupled partners, to to constantly uh, put this put that on the table. I think. Uh, well, do you have any final thoughts for people who are listening? As they're we're thinking about family transitions, family transitions sort of outside of marriage was a past show. This is family transitions within a marriage, or within a coupling. Let's just call it coupling. Any relationship? Any final thoughts? Sure, marriages are like mains roads. They're bumpy, <laughs> but they take you to beautiful places. <laughs> I, I can't.
I can't talk that. <laughs> well, I would very much agree with that. As, as an almost lifelong Mainer myself, I've been on many of these roads, and it sounds like you've navigated the bumpy roads quite well. So I appreciate your coming in and talking with us Good today. To be here. Um, we've Thank been you. speaking. Thanks with, for having us. Yes. Well. Um, it's, it's good to have people out in the world doing things that they each believe in and also believing in a relationship so strongly. So we've been talking with, um, we're going to call you civic leader, Elliot Cutler. And, call me anything. And <laughs> his, And his spouse, Dr. Melanie Cutler. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, The Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207 774 2196 and get started with the body architect today and by dr john herzog of orthopedic specialists in falmouth maine at orthopedic specialists ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree with state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment small areas of tendinitis muscle tears ligaments instability and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination for more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. Today's show on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is about commitment and about what it takes to sort of transition through a life with another person, um, hopefully by your side, sometimes long distance, but still with you in spirit. And I have two women in front of me, lovely women, who own a store down um, just across the street in the Old Port called Two Notes. They are also musicians and um, and also have been longtime partners. This is Darcy Doniger and Carolyn Mix, and I'm so pleased that you're in here talking about commitment. We are so pleased to be here, Lisa. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. And I should put out there for people who are listening that I went into your store, I had a bit of a cold, and I got a, I think it was lavender and eucalyptus bath salts, and Darcy said, throw some of this on the floor of your shower, and it's going to help clear up your sinuses, and I couldn't really smell it very well, but I used it for a few days, and it actually did. It actually was quite helpful. So, and it smells great. Sometimes I tell the truth. Yes. <laughs> well, it, it was the truth for me. So, so let's talk about this. You have so many different ways in which the two of you have sort of intertwined your lives. And you're sitting across from me, and you're even intertwined now, which is beautiful to see. But this is something that has been a conscious decision, I think, on your part, and something that you kind of keep reevaluating and keep doing because you play music together, you have a business together, um, you have a life together. Mm -hmm. So why did you make this big decision sort of when this whole thing started? That's a great question and one that I'm not even sure that we've contemplated much. Mm -hmm. It was just more instinctual than anything and when we fell in love with each other we both truly believed that we're soulmates meant to be together and when we took that leap we just 
we just started running and we've never stopped. And we also happen to be extremely creative spirits and we feed off of each other every day. Every idea, every conversation we have is just something that perpetually leads to the next step. And for the most part, we have so much fun with that. We thrive off of each other's energy. I think it's also an energy thing. We're very inspiring to the other person. And Carolyn is a wealth of ideas. Just, they never stop. And so my job in this relationship is to try to actually make them happen because she'll come up with another and another and another. And, and that's both musically and in the business. Actually, in our life in general, I sometimes tease and say, Carolyn is the substance of the two of us and I'm the fluff. She's the melody, I'm the harmony in our music. She is the genius behind everything in our shop and I make it look pretty. Well, she more than makes it look pretty, she makes it happen. I like to say that all of my ideas would be sitting dusty um, inside my medicine cabinet <laughs> if it weren't for her bringing them to life. So uh, with the business, I, I had been dabbling in aromatherapy and uh, natural perfumery um, for many years before I met Darcy, and I would just make gifts for friends, um, for weddings. I had a few perfume commissions and largely I did it for my own health reasons and just enjoyment. I'm, I love scent. I only love natural scent. I love things that exist out in the woods, in the gardens. And when she caught wind of what I was doing, I was making a perfume for a friend's wedding. We were flying to Seattle for a wedding and I was consulting her on the phone and we were picking the notes and she became absolutely intrigued by it and our flight out to Seattle. Seven hour flight was uh, to convince her to turn it into a business. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we that was the that was very early on in our relationship and um Darcy has a very entrepreneurial spirit. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and I think it was only natural that that was the next step in my life. I was a full-time musician um, when we met, and um, unfortunately was uh, suffering from some health issues due, due to music, um, some physical issues around playing the violin, which is a very, very challenging instrument physically. <laughs> so, uh, so after this idea came to life, we kept breathing on it, and it kept growing and I don't know six months later we had a storefront started developing product and yeah the musical connection and what we've created at two note is often referred to as kind of having all of our passions under one roof and I think that in general that's the way we've designed our life um, it's not to be together every minute but it's to have a life that is designed to bring out the best in each of us and actually challenge us to work together always, even when separate, even when it's, you know, my part of the business or my part of our musical career is completely independent of Carolyn. It still affects her. You know, everything I do in a given day also has an effect on her. And you either love or hate that. And for me, it's, it's the best of me. Well, and that's why it's interesting that you referred to substance and fluff, because when you were 
in the store, and I would, I think I'm on Carolyn's side on this, I would, I would say that it really is more, as you've described, this melody and harmony mm-hmm. in the store. You said that, that Carolyn was more the melody, you were more the harmony. And I'm, I'm a singer, and I tend to also sing harmony, but I don't ever consider myself just the fluff. I consider myself fairly integral to the piece. Yeah. So it, it does sound to me like this interaction is very musical in some ways. It's sort of there's a counterpoint that occurs, you know, there's a timing that needs to happen. So it's interesting. But this also must require a constant sort of reading of each other. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Yes. And I think we've tweaked it over the past seven years. Um, in our first year of business, we were literally spending... <clears throat> 12 hours of every day together trying to make the business happen. And now, fast forward to seven years later, we you'll rarely find us actually together f- for long periods of time because we're, we are doing our counterparts <laughs> yeah. to, to the family, to the business, and to, to music. I'm, one person may be... Uh, doing the entrepreneurial thing at the shop and the other person is most likely at home practicing. And and the response always to my <clears> fluff <throat> comment, and by the way, I have no lack of ego because fluff is necessary and that's everybody's reaction to it is always, well, but you need the fluff. So I am necessary. And the melody is emptier without a harmony beneath it. So I'm really comfortable with that role. I don't think it makes me less than, but I love being an accompaniment. I'd like to talk about scent and attraction a little bit and couples that come into our shop. Uh, We are, you know, after being in business for almost seven years, I think I will end up writing a book one day because the stories are fascinating Mm -hmm. around what people are attracted to, to wear themselves in relation to what they think will be attractive to their partner. And sometimes those are very different and couples will have a disagreement in the shop, you know, that I always ask people when they're trying on a scent to ask themselves two questions. A, do you like the scent of it? And B, would you like to smell like that? Two very different things. We don't usually want to smell like apple pie, but we may like the scent of it. And so, I try to work with couples, we try to work with couples to find something that resonates between the two of them rather than, you know, we could wear scents for different reasons. Maybe we have a daily wear that we like to wear that makes us feel energetic and stimulated when we're working during the day, but maybe we have something more sensual and romantic for date night. And that's what we'll talk about and talk with couples about. I think I find it interesting that by and large here in America, we're always trying to cover up scent. And we've also dichotomized scent in a very gendered way. So there are male scents and female scents. And so much more often than not, I have women kind of whispering to me, this may sound weird, but I really actually prefer men's sense to women's sense. And so we like to say that we don't blend for gender per se, and I truly don't. When I'm when I'm inventing a perfume, it's not about that at all. It's telling a story of sorts, but I'm not thinking that 
men will wear it or women will wear it. And there have been many instances that we've actually had a couple, a heterosexual couple, fall in love with the same scent. Actually, a same-sex couple. This has mm-hmm. happened many times as well. And in natural perfumery, uh, our chemistry plays a huge role. Unlike a synthetic, you know, CK1's going to, by and large, smell the same. You will recognize it on a man, a woman. Yeah, it's designed that way. It. It's designed to be recognized when it walks by you. Everybody can say, oh, that's Chanel number 5. Yes, or that's like, CK1. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it might, might fluctuate a little bit from person to person, but by and large, that's the marketing behind it, is yes. so that it's recognizable and you go buy it. And the thing about our fragrances is that they are so unique to you. Uh, uh, Carolyn will often say in the shop, you're the third note. You change everything. So once that fragrance is on you, it becomes uniquely yours because your chemistry then does its thing. So we have, let's say two couples come in, um, a couple actually, two people. One maybe of sort of Irish fair skin, you know, uh, cooler body temperature and somebody Mediterranean like me whose body temperature runs high, oilier content to my skin. You put the, the same fragrance on the two of us and you would never Never know. And and then there's the whole memory trigger that scent has, which can also change the look on someone's face when they smell their partner. If it smells like their mom, not so good. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, we love mom, but not a sensual thing. Um, and then the same thing can happen. They, they smell something on their partner, and it could be either that it actually just brings out their own scent, that scent that they love so much, about that person, the, not covering the biological, it. yeah, yeah, playing off of, of it. it, not covering it, not becoming sonata on you, but what sonata does when it blends with your chemistry, and what does it bring out in you? The salt in your skin, the the smell that you get behind someone's ears, you know, just these sort of beautiful things that are unique to each person. That I think we. We work with, or at yes. least the, the perfumes work with, as opposed to just sort of blanketing. And that's that's part of the musicality of it too, mm-hmm. um, is that there is that resonance. I think that there are wavelengths happening there between a person's own chemistry and the chemistry of the plant material. And I don't think that you get that when you have hundreds of chemical compounds that are synthesized to create a, a modern-day fragrance. And I, I really like that difference, and I like educating people about it. Um, the scent industry is ruled by something called trade secret. And when I say the scent industry, it's, it's the entire fragrance industry, um, including things like fabric softener and dish soap and any major brand you can think of that is associated with scent or cleaning. Um, I like to say that we've invented the scent of clean. If we think about the smell of a fabric softener, that's not something that actually exists in in nature. And um, many of the synthetic scents these days are actually a byproduct of the petroleum industry. Those byproducts create very sweet scents 
and that's what you will you will find can be manipulated in into many different modern commercial fragrances and um, because the industry is ruled by trade secret, anytime you see the word perfume or fragrance, that, that can literally mean 400 different chemicals. And we will never, as consumers, know what those are because legally the companies don't have to reveal them. So I like to try to pass that information along. That's where products with a conscience comes into play with our business and and our life, you know, our identity is, we feel, we feel like we need to be doing our part with our business and we love our brand. We love the creative aspects of it, but that's where the ethical aspects well, are. Oh yeah. And also the uniqueness <clears throat> because we don't want everybody who leaves the shop to smell the same. And that's what I think all those other products are designed to do. Getting back to attraction. If we all smelled the same, we'd be confused. I mean, there has to be something about that person. You know, sure, they might be wearing a little something. It's kind of like an outfit, you know? We accentuate. You wear something that you feel beautiful in, and that might accentuate certain things about you. But it's not a, it's not a suit that when you take it off, there's an entirely different being underneath. And that's what we want our fragrances to be, that you can, you can still detect what's unique about you. And it's different on every person. The, the individuality part of it is something that's really important to us. And do you think that um, if people continue to resonate with each other's scent, their authenticity, their living with a conscience, do you think that that's part of what enables people to stay committed to one another as a couple? Oh, yes. For me, yes. Yes. For me as well, <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that the more in touch you are with yourself and your spouse on on those levels, on those wavelengths, absolutely the greater chance you have of sustaining your relationship. And I think that, you know, we're living in a society with a 50% divorce rate. Um, we happen to be a gay couple that, you know, we've been together for going on seven years. We would love to get get married um, legally and I think being in the position we're in has caused us to think a lot about what what it means to be committed in business in our personal life in our musical lives and going from that place rather than a place of taking each other for granted, which I think I see, you know, culturally in society, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things being taken for granted. Our health being one of them, our relationships, um, maybe our families and... And next new things. Next new thing, whatever the next new thing is. And that's yeah. why I think you can get, you can just lose the, the, the person, the essence of what you fell for. If it's just always the, the, the next new thing. And that, that whole sort of scent thing, so much in life can change about a person. Their, their size, their hair color, their mm -hmm. job, where we live. But no matter what, in this very sort of, sensual, primal way, she smells the same to me. 
And that can take me back to day one in a way that nothing else can. And sometimes we all love to go back to day one, that, you know, the minute somebody walks in the room, it changes. And that can still happen seven years later. And some of that is not just the visual, it's, it's, the, it's the smell. Well, I think this is a perfect place to end this with you. I know we could talk for such a long time on the subject because you have so many different ways of looking at this and that you're so thoughtful about the way that you approach this and the way that you live your lives and approach your business. So we thank you for coming in and talking to us about commitment. We've been talking with Carolyn Mix and Darcy Doniger of Two Note and also um, local musicians, well, local and probably more than local musicians here in the state of Maine. We're very fortunate to have you in the studio and living in Portland with us. Thank you, Lisa. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Seabags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Visit the Seabag store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. show is about commitment and we were talking with couples who are committed to each other in different ways. Um, I met Sharon and Kevin I think about two years ago on a rooftop at a party for a mutual friend. At the time we didn't know each other very well but Sharon and I had sort of crossed paths and sort of knew of each other. So you've been in my kind of consciousness let's just say. When I thought of couples that are committed to each other, I thought of you in part because you, you don't, you're not just married. You're married and you work together. And that's its own set of very interesting, well, I don't want to say challenges, but maybe I will. Mm-hmm. So thank you for coming in. We're talking to um, Kevin and Sharon Paul Brucey. We're glad to have you here today. We're thrilled to be Pleasure here. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. And it's interesting for you because you were just saying to John, our, our audio guru, that you're usually on the other side of the microphone, on the other side of the editing situation. So you do this for your, in part, for what you do for a living. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it feels like it. there's a trust process. You know, they're developing some sort of trust because we want to be open and honest and reveal who we really are. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how far that goes. <laughs> Well, I think there is a lot that can be revealed because I know that you do something very similar to what I do. And you kind of collect stories, the two of you do. Um, Kevin, you're a photographer. You've been a photographer for a, a long time. Yeah. And, and Sharon, you're a filmmaker. Okay. Um, and part of what you do is kind of collect these stories from other people, whether it's still or motion photography, and kind of send them out there into the world. Is this something that drew the two of you together? Um. Not initially. I mean, we, we did meet on a photo set, but that's not really. We, we came together, I think, um, it was just, I think it was one of those things. We had met eight years 
prior to uh, back in 1994, right? I was married. Sharon was in a relationship. She was on a photo set with me, and I just we we clicked, and that it was a big you know there's lots of people around, all kinds of things going on. But I kind of there was something about her that stood out, and she stayed in my memory. And then eight years later, I literally just bumped into her, and <clears throat> she had said at that point she was thinking of me because she needed new headshots or something. And then we went out to dinner, and haven't been apart since. And you've been married for how long? Ten years. Yeah, ten years, ten years this in January. January. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We yeah. got married on a lake. Um, <clears throat> he had built a post and beam in Rangeley. So we got married out on the lake. My friend, my best friend from childhood, became a notary, married us. The kids were, you know, the music and the flowers. The dog was the ring bearer. You know, we kept it very simple because it's our second marriage for both of us. Yeah. Well, tell me what that's like. What is it like to try to build sort of another life after you've had one life with a prior spouse? Now you're getting together, building a second life, or maybe even it's a third or fourth life, but at least this is this life together for the two of you. What's, what has that been like for you? Well, may I? Yes. Yeah, I think that um, in the first marriage, when that ends, when, when you step back from it and you get away from it, you, you kind of look at yourself mm-hmm. and you say, okay, something didn't happen right there, whether it was you married for the wrong reasons or you weren't as true to the marriage as you needed to be within it. And then you have to, if you stop and you kind of look at yourself, say, if I'm going to do this again, I have to really do some self-examination. Where was I screwing up? And, you know, because no matter what happens in a, in a failed marriage, both parties have to take responsibility for it. And I looked at my side of that, and I knew that if I was going to try to be in a committed relationship again, I had to do the work. And I also had to be willing to work before and within the marriage. So one of the first things that Sharon and I did when we got together, I think it might even have been before we were married, um, was we went to joint counseling just because we knew we had screwed up before. Let's get help before we have problems. Figure out how to communicate, figure out how to make it work, and you know, and it's never perfect. It takes work. And we continue to go to workshops at Kropalu and do things like that to really make sure that we find the most effective ways to communicate and understand each other. And you mentioned children. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, actually when um, we came together, and now I'm about to meet these two young ladies, very young, uh, I, that's when I actually felt like we should see counseling because I thought we're joining forces together and how do we go about doing this? So, you know, I feel like Kevin and I came together kind of on a similar ground you know, with with similar visions and similar the energy and desire to really want the best in something. So I think when you come together, there's some clarity at that point. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are, but you just want to bring forward some clarity so that you're setting out for the same goals in mind. So we did. So we, we both agreed. It wasn't like I had to drag him to counseling or vice versa. So it's been a, a real, as much as we face what we face as two human beings together, we have this great blend, and that's how we've also been able to bring that into our work as well. Well, tell me about that. I mean, although you're both in kind of the visual and artistic field, you're both very different individuals and probably have a pretty different idea as to what your visions are. That's one of the very interesting things is that when we first started working together in the, in the visual world, 
we quickly recognized that our <clears throat> visual aesthetic was almost identical. So we, any conflicts that come up with working together are never about the visual content. It's that, for me, this, I still remember our first time when we went out to do a video shoot where I was her, you know, guy doing the camera work. She's the director. And it was going to a client who had been one of my long-term clients. So now I have to be in a different role. And I stood out in the parking lot, like, <laughs> having a discussion. And for those who can't see, I've, you know, the fingertips or the quotes are around that, um, about who was going to be in control. And it really it took a lot for me to relinquish that control, to recognize that, okay, she, this is her, you know, party, and I'm working for her now. Especially as a still photographer for 20 plus years, I'm out there, and it's it's my show. Everything you know, I've got assistants and stylists, and you know, and it's all my responsibility. So now it was interesting, but Shall I, I learned to trust. Yeah, trust is the key, and also I I will really say that neither one of us are on a head trip. You know, it's not a controlling. I, I think that's another area where we blend together very well. We both have our own individual strengths, um, but we don't have a need to sort of combat with the other to say, I'm in charge, it's my, you know, it's my game here. So maybe I took on a role that he wasn't accustomed to, and I took on a role I wasn't accustomed to also, but we didn't, we don't feel like we have to outdo the other. I mean, we might be competitive in some area. I don't know, in backgammon, or we don't even play backgammon. No, Monopoly. You do not want to play Monopoly Monopoly with this girl or her family. (laughs) It's cutthroat. (laughs) But uh, seriously, we we really, we have a way of um, respecting one another. And I think Mm. that's also key to success in this working. Does it also enable you to be more honest with other people, the fact that you have this other person in your life that allows you to be authentic? I think so. I think um, for myself, one of the lessons that I learned early on in um, the relationship with Sharon is that I didn't need to be anything. I didn't really need to be something, you know, bigger than who I really am. I could just be myself in my silliness and in my imperfections and just roll with that and not have to try to be something better or something like that. Um, and then I had somebody who would accept me for who I was. Um, and, you know, I come to the table with all kinds of baggage from my childhood, and we all do. And, and I think that, my, you know, my childhood in many ways was very serious. And um, I think I, maybe I compensate by being very silly a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, that goes back to that whole just what you were saying earlier about um, just Life's too short to, to get all wrapped up and be dead. Just try to make the best of every moment. Don't worry too much about what's going to happen tomorrow. What's behind you doesn't really matter. You know, it's just be in the moment, make the best of it, and find somebody to do it alongside you, you know, like Sharon. This is such a wonderful place to kind of end all of this, but I want to send people who are listening to look at your work. How can people find out about the work that you're doing in the community? I mean, I hope they're all going to meet you eventually someday because you're both wonderful people and you have this great story. But if they can't, how do they find out about the work that you're doing? Well, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, Sharon's website is wonderdogfilms.com. And most of the films that she's done are up there. And 
can be viewed. Some of them, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. and some of them are scattered around YouTube and Vimeo and other places like yeah. that, right? But, yeah. And, and then my website is kevinbruzzi.com. That's B-R-U-S-I-E. And, and also Facebook. Do you have a Facebook? Uh, I don't have a Facebook uh, business page. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been told that would be a smart thing to do. And I, you know, kind of go in Facebook and step out of Facebook. So. <laughs> but I think that, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a, yeah. a great thing to put ourselves out there, especially because we are visual people. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the website. And, yeah. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, Kevin Brizzy Photography. Yes, that I, that's right. That, essentially just repost my blog posts up on Facebook and where I ramble on about things photographic and not. And hopefully some more film film festivals will be in the near future, um, you know, to get it up on the screen and, and, uh, and you know, make a difference, right? Well, I absolutely agree. So I welcome all of the people who have been listening to our conversation to go to Kevin's Facebook and Kevin's website and your website and find out a little bit more about you. And um, it's really been a pleasure to have you spend time with me this morning. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure much. being here. Yeah, yeah we enjoyed it very much. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle, and you've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 64, Commitment for the first time on December 2nd, 2012. Today's guests have included civic leader Elliot Cutler and Dr. Melanie Cutler, musicians Carolyn Mix and Darcy Doniger, founders of Two Note Botanical Perfumery, and photographer Kevin Brucey and Sharon Paul Brucey, filmmaker. For more information on our couples, visit doctorlisa.org. For regular updates on upcoming shows and also our take on the world of love and commitment, like our Facebook page and add us to your daily feed. We hope you've learned a little bit about what makes some people stay committed to one another in a loving relationship. And we hope you'll give us feedback as to how you've been able to stay committed in your own loving relationships. Send us an email through our website, doctorlisa.org. Or otherwise, just let me know how you think. Stop me on the street. I really want to hear from you. Thank you for being committed to our show and to committed to the lock. Thank you for being committed to our show and to the sponsors of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. Please let them know that you value the time that they've taken to make this show possible. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belisle. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, Main Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. 
Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belisle through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.